Well, good morning again. Grab your Bibles and make your way to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 8 this morning, beginning in verse 22, and working our way through verse 26. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at a miracle that's found in the Gospel that's uh, pretty unique. Um, matter of fact, it's different than a lot of the other miracles we've seen Jesus do so far as we've been walking through this series. And one thing as I was looking at this miracle that I had to remind myself is Jesus was teaching his disciples. He was discipling them. And so he doesn't just do miracles for the sake of doing miracles, um, but he's wanting to give lessons to disciples and things that we can learn from them because eventually he's not going to be with them anymore. And so they're going to have to take up the ministry and carry it on, uh, which we read into the book of Acts. And, and so he's teaching them, particularly in this miracle this morning. And I grew up and I had a lot of great teachers that made impacts on my life. I know school's getting ready to come to a close in a couple of weeks, but uh, my fifth grade teacher, her name was Mrs. Burns. And Mrs. Burns challenged me in fifth grade uh, to work hard and do my best and uh, pay attention, which sometimes is a hard thing for boys to do. But in fifth grade, I got straight A's all year. It was the first and only time that ever happened, but I credit it to Miss Burns. And then I had Mr. Hirwagen in eighth grade. He was my English and speech teacher. And he made such an impact on my life that I felt that I wanted to go to college to be an English and speech teacher for middle schoolers. Um, I had professors at SBU that impacted me and, and still do when it comes to ministry and, and, and church and church history and um, I remember I had a, a math teacher that can do a perfect circle every time. And we just, like, that's kind of how he started the day. He just like, whoop, and then we would go on and we start talking about math. And um, I've had professors at seminary that have impacted me. I bring this up because Jesus is teaching his disciples, and it really comes from what we saw last week, uh, that Jesus is wanting them to understand something that they're not quite getting Last week's passage, which you can read, is, it begins in verse uh, 11 and runs to verse 21. It, it, the main issue is the disciples realize that they forgot bread. And, and they think Jesus, when he tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that he's talking about their lack of bread that they've brought as they've gone across on the Sea of Galilee. And so in the process of going, and the disciples remembering this, Jesus issues this strong warning twice to them, and yet they didn't get it until the second time. Matter of fact, Jesus even asked them in verse 17 of the Gospel of Mark, do you not yet perceive or understand? And the question is really, do you not yet see clearly what is going on? That we're not talking about bread, that we're talking about false teaching we're talking about spiritual truths, and it's from this question that we have this strange healing beginning in verse 22. So let's read the word, and we'll walk through it. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. But they looked like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. So 
The passage begins, Jesus' disciples come to this area known as Bethsaida. It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida literally means house of fisher, which lets us know the main job that was in the area, and people were fishermen. So Jesus had some fishermen as disciples who would have been familiar with these people. They're probably thinking, these are my type of people. And these people in the area bring to him a blind man. And it's the people, not the blind man, which beg Jesus for the healing and this isn't actually the strange part about the healing. This isn't the first, nor will it be the last time that individuals bring someone to Jesus in order to be healed. As we saw with the healing of a blind man earlier, Jesus begins by showing compassion on this man by speaking his language. You notice he takes him by the hand and he leads him away from the populated area. This blind man held the hands that were pierced on the cross for the sins of the world, and Jesus takes him aside. But this also isn't the thing that's different about this particular miracle. We see throughout the Gospels, Jesus tended to look for places of solitude. He, he tended to get away from the fanfare, which lets us know he wasn't doing this miracle or doing any of the miracles and teaching he was doing in order to get attention. He wanted people to know that God loved them, and he wanted people to know God. That's the whole purpose of the miracles and the teachings of Jesus. And so as they head out of the village, Jesus then proceeds with the miracle. And this is where it takes a weird turn. Spitting obviously would be weird. I doubt you would want someone to spit on your face. But this is exactly what Jesus does to this blind man. He spits on his face. He spits in his eyes. And then he lays his hands upon him. And notice the question, do you see anything? At this point in time, with what we've seen with the miracles that have been done in the past, we would have expected instant healing, yet it wasn't complete. So the man answers that he could see something, he could make something out. It seemed to be people, but they looked like trees walking around. I was telling Jamie about this particular passage that I was going to be preaching on this morning. She said, well, how would he know what trees look like? Well, the reading of the passage says that the sight was restored there in verse 25, which means that this man most likely was not born blind, that at one point in time he just lost his sight. But the point of his response is he, he couldn't quite see clearly. It was blurry. And he couldn't make anything out about the people. They just appeared like trees and objects. And here's... Where Jesus is doing the teaching point. Because this is exactly where the disciples were. They were able to make some things out, but they weren't able to see as clearly as Jesus wanted them to see it. And so what this miracle is, even though it's kind of different, is, is a metaphor for growing in the faith. Pointing back to the previous event, Jesus asked his disciples concerning the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees, do you not yet perceive or understand? He takes it even further in verse 18, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? See, the disciples in this moment, they've been with Jesus for quite some time, but they're failing to get past what is right in front of them. They're failing to see it spiritually, and Jesus wanted them to understand what he's trying to teach them so they can take the mantle of ministry. They, they weren't seeing trees, they were seeing a lack of bread. And Jesus wanted them to be aware of the false teaching. He wanted their eyes to be opened 
to begin seeing spiritual truth. The disciples are struggling to see what Jesus is trying to teach them and prepare for. They were still growing in their faith. But Jesus, knowing that his time is becoming even more and more limited, he needs to get them up to speed. And sometimes I think we ourselves, as we're being discipled and growing in the faith, we can become frustrated with the Bible, particularly passages of Scripture which we don't fully understand. What is God trying to say in this? Sometimes we can sit in Bible study or listen to a sermon and we can see somewhat, but things are still not completely clear. We have to remember, everyone in this room, including myself, is growing in the faith. There are times that I'll listen to preachers either through podcasts or at a conference or I'll read books by individuals that I respect and I say, how in the world did they see that and I didn't? Times I'll be listening through preachers and they'll be going through a passage of scripture and they'll point something out that was so obvious and I'll say, how, how, how did I not see that? I was right there. It's because I, like you, am still growing in the faith. I'm still growing to know God more and to fall more in love with him. One thing I love about God's word and when I'm reading it, and I hope this has happened to you. Have you ever read a passage of scripture or you're reading through the Bible and then all of a sudden a word or a phrase just seems to leap off the page and you're like, when did that get there? That, that, to me, those are wonderful times that the Spirit is speaking to my heart. And I think, I didn't see that before. That's growing in the faith. It's a constant pursuit of God through his word and a deeper understanding of who he is so that our spiritual eyes can be opened and we can begin to see clearly. Like this blind man, there's going to be things that come up in life which we're not going to be able to fully discern. They're going to seem foggy. They're not going to be clear. We're not going to have a full understanding. And so that's why we are called as God's children to continue to turn to the Word of God, to keep digging deeper so eventually that we can start to see it clearer. But even this, we have to understand there's going to be things on this side of eternity that we're not going to always get to fully understand. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, For now we see in the mirror dimly face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I bring it up because don't get frustrated in the journey of faith. It's a process. It's a walk. Sometimes it's a battle. Not every question we have when it comes to scriptures is going to be answered in this life. But we don't have to have all the answers because we know the one who does. And so we trust him. For example, as we're going through Revelation through Wednesday night, it's the first time I've ever taught the entire book of Revelation. In the last three weeks, a question came up concerning hell. And so I shared what I believe some of the passages of Scripture were pointing to. Uh, the, the, the question was, how long is hell going to last? Is it eternal or is it ever going to end? And so I gave what I believe the Scriptures were saying, what I had been reading, what I had been studying. Now, I'll admit, I've never had a study on hell. I've never wanted to do a Bible study on hell. It just did not seem that uplifting. But because this question kept coming up three weeks in a row... Felt God was telling me, you better go take a quick, better look at this. And so I went and dug into the scriptures and said what the word said, and I realized that what I had taught did not coincide what God had said. And so I had to apologize to the class. That's right. 
I made a mistake. But I grew in the faith. I grew in understanding of what God actually said, and I had to admit, you know, I was wrong. And that's part of growing. Sometimes we have to admit we're wrong. The disciples had to admit they were wrong concerning the leaven and the bread, which means sometimes going in the faith can be uncomfortable because does anybody here like to admit when you're wrong? I don't see one... Jacob does. All right, thank you, Jacob. (laughs) We don't like to. But when we continue to seek after God, what happens is we become like this blind man and things that once were foggy, maybe we were wrong about. We begin to see clearly. Another aspect of this healing is there were people who had to bring this man to Jesus. And I'm not trying to be rude with this comment, but this man wasn't going to find Jesus. Unless Jesus walked right by him, he was not going to find him. Also, Jesus wanted to take this man away from the crowd, out of the village. And so he takes the man by the hand. Finally, this man wasn't going to become, have sight unless Jesus interacted with him and healed him. And the point I bring this up is we are to intercede for others. The people interceded for the blind man. Jesus interceded for the blind man. And then Jesus interceded again by healing him. This might be through a physical action or through prayer. But as God's people, we have to remember that we have direct access to the throne room of God. We need to have direct communication with him. We need to hear his voice. We can go and we can lift up others to him. And at times it may be that we intercede by we guide people to God. We invite them maybe to church. We bring them somewhere where they can receive spiritual healing. Maybe we just sit down with another believer and we kind of do a little Bible study and figure out, hey, what do I, if I believe this, is this right? Does this actually coincide with what God is saying? But when I think of intercession, a lot of times I think of just falling on my knees, praying for you, the church praying for my family and my kids. As God's people, we have direct access to fall on our knees and lift people up who are hurting. This last week I was driving to go pick up Jamie from school. We have two cars and three drivers. So so I was going and and I had this thought, you know, it was a nice day. It was on Wednesday. It was a pretty nice day. And and I thought, well, I'm going to go and show up early. Uh, you know, I'm going to get there right when she's able to leave, which is at 3.15, and I'm going to take her home, and we're going to go for a walk together. Because she's always talking about how she wants to go for a walk with me. And sometimes I'm on the couch, and I'm like, uh, but I'm going to surprise her. We're going to go for like an afternoon date walk. And so I show up there, and I, I get led into uh, the building, and I go to her classroom, and she sees me, and her eyes get big. I say, hey, you want to go for a walk? Uh, we were going to go for ice cream. <laughs> I said, but you're always wanting to go for a walk with me. Um, she chose ice cream. So I went home. I wasn't in the mood for ice cream at the time. I went home, and I started going home, and I was driving down our road to the house, and there was this kid standing in the middle of the road doing something he was not legally of age to do, just standing there, oblivious. There's a sidewalk. 
But he just stood there, so I had to, I had to stop until he finally realized there's a car behind me. And he looks at me, and this puff of stuff comes out of his mouth, and then he steps off to the side. And I begin driving, and the first thing that comes in my head is, man, that kid is trouble. It's not the first time I'd had an encounter with this particular kid. They've never been positive. And so that was the first thing in my head, that kid is trouble. And as I'm driving home, and I hear God speak to my heart, and he said, Pastor Mike, that's how God gets my attention. It's kind of like my mom called me Michael and I knew I was in trouble. Pastor Mike, I love that kid. I died for that kid. And I begin to get convicted and I'm driving and I'm like, Lord, help me to love those kids I deem as trouble as much as you do. It gets better. So it's Wednesday. Richard and I are just pulling back in from our second pickup of the van. That kid I deemed was trouble was standing outside the church. Saying, Look, I didn't mean like today, today, show me how to love him. <laughs> that kid that I had deemed as trouble and kind of brushed off, he came to the one place he needed to be to experience the love of God. He got to have a meal that night. I got to pray over him that night with that meal. He got to interact with God's people and the youth. He didn't want to leave. He had that much fun. It was also on that night that I finally got the kid that was trouble. I learned his name. So I didn't give him a name. But I learned his name. So I went home, when I got home finally that Wednesday night, I prayed for that kid by name because he's hurting. He was looking for something to fill a void that was inside, and he couldn't find it. Obviously, this story doesn't make me look very good, but maybe you can relate. Sometimes we can see what people are going through, or we can see an action that people are doing and we can shake our head and discuss. We can brush them off as trouble, all forgetting that Jesus died for those people. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge myself because obviously I'm still growing in the faith that instead of us as God's people being judgmental or being angry, that we pray for them, that we lift them up. And we may not know their name, but we can see that they are in fact hurting. And there are a lot of hurting people in this world that just need us to start praying for them. The culture of our passage, this blind man could have easily been brushed off. In this culture, his life, people would have looked over him. They would have completely ignored him. But here's a group of people who bring him to Jesus. And here's the thing, it did not benefit them at all for this man's sight to be restored. They showed compassion to him. And that's what interceding does, is, is it realizes that, you know what, it's not about me. Because there's not a person in this room, let's be honest, that has it all together, including the guy behind the pulpit. It's not about me, it's about turning to the one who can change the hearts of people. That he can heal them physically, but more importantly, he can heal them spiritually. 
come back to our passage again, it seems odd, the first act, that Jesus didn't fully heal the man the first time. We have to keep in mind, Jesus has healed people simply by saying the word. He didn't have to physically be with them. He's cast out demons simply by telling someone, yeah, the demon's gone. Wasn't even physically in the room. And so when I read this passage initially, I'm like, well, was Jesus running out of Jesus juice? I mean, what, what's going on here? Well, that's obviously not the case because his greatest work was still to come. But I have to laugh at this man's response. Jesus spits on him. And the man's response wouldn't have been my response. <laughs> when Jesus asked the question, do you see anything? My response would have been, no, because you spit in my eyes. <laughs> it's disgusting. Who spits on people? I mean, we don't have to typically tell our kids more than once, don't spit on people. And it would have been heavily taboo in Jesus' day. It's gross. But this isn't the first time Jesus has used his Savior spit, right? He's healed a blind and mute man by using his Savior spit. Jesus was, though, he's trying to get this man's attention. He's trying to wake this man's faith up. Just remember, it wasn't the man who came in faith to Jesus. People brought him to Jesus. And after initial opening of the man's eyes, Jesus then comes because this man is starting to understand he is in front of a healer. He's starting to begin that journey of faith. And Jesus completes the healing, which is a lesson for us to finish the work. This applies to things we've already talked about. Finish the work in growing in your faith. Though it's going to be hard. Finish the work in interceding for others, even when it appears nothing is happening. In this life, things may not always go the way we think they should go or happen the way we think they should happen. I imagine the group of people who brought this blind man to Jesus were expecting instantaneous healing. They probably heard the stories of Jesus healing other people. They knew this guy could do it. Yet initially for them, I would say things did not go as they expected. Initially, it seemed like this blind man was only going to get a partial healing. That's because Jesus had yet to finish the work. He had a bigger plan in store. As I already mentioned, the disciples needed to grow some too. So this healing is a representation of the faith needing to grow into completion. The disciples themselves could only see partially, and Jesus wanted them to see clearly. So they were going to have to finish the work. Being involved in ministry, whatever level of ministry you are involved in, it's going to get hard at times. It can be exhausting. Sometimes you feel like nothing is getting accomplished specifically the way we think it should get accomplished. You know, same thing can go for parenting. It can be hard. It can be frustrating. It can be exhausting. But here's the thing in Scripture. We're called to finish the work. Paul was later right to the Philippian believers that he understood this. He understood that living by faith and representing Christ and doing ministry can be hard and exhausting. If you read through the book of Acts, you see a, a couple of different times Paul was actually ready to tap out. He was ready to call it quits. But then he writes to this group of Philippian believers and he tells them this, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Did you catch how Paul said to finish the work? That's Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. He says that I strain forward. That word strain in the Greek means to be stretched. It means to be extended. 
It carries the the sense of becoming uncomfortable. And Paul says, I press on in verse 14 there. The word press in the Greek means to run or to chase after. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not a big fan of running. I I, I played football and I did wrestling. Short bursts, like the dwarf from Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, just short bursts. But a couple years ago, I got into running. Part of I got into running because Ethan was a runner, and I wanted to go out and run with him and make sure he was safe as, as many years ago. My daughter, Abby's getting ready to finish up track, and she looks at me and says, hey, running buddy. So I guess I got to start running again. Running's exhausting. It's tiring. It's hard. Sometimes you feel like nothing's getting accomplished because you run 10 feet, and then you got to walk and catch your breath. But that's what pressing on is. It's finishing the work. It's finishing the work even though things may not be going as planned. It doesn't mean that it's going to fit into the image of what we think it should be. It means to be faithful to the calling that God has placed on our heart. And so it's going to stretch us. But it's going to stretch us in the faith. Which means we need to grow in the faith. We're going to get exhausted. Sometimes we're going to want to quit. Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I read that passage, and I'm like, what in the world? How can you be weak and then strong? That makes no sense, Paul. But what Paul is doing is he's getting to the point that when we don't think we can go anymore, then we are right where we're supposed to be because we're completely going to rely on Jesus Christ to finish the good work in us and for him to do the ministry through us. Turning back to Philippians, Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That completion means perfection means finishing the work. Here's an honest statement. We are all a work in progress. We are all on a journey of growing in our faith. We all need other people to intercede for us. Whether it's in ministry, with parenting, family. We're all in the process of finishing the work and the Bible tells us we won't be done until Jesus calls us home or he returns but we're called to finish the work. The man in our passage, he returned home and he could see clearly. He had 20-20 vision. Perhaps there's some here today who need to see clearly. And I'm not talking about physically seeing, but spiritually seeing. So I want to share with you the gospel. God created you for a relationship with him. That's your sole purpose in life, is to be in relationship with God the Creator. Problem is, is our sins separate us from God. And everyone in here battles with sin. Everyone in here has things they hope no one else finds out about. Things that we don't proclaim from a pulpit. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sometimes we think if we just go to church... Just read my Bible more. I'm just going to listen to more Christian music. I'm just going to do this, do that, do that. We think that will fix it, but that won't fix it. 
That's like trying to put a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came and lived a perfect life according to God's law and God's word. He died on the cross for the sins to take the punishment that we deserved, and he rose from the grave to show that he has the authority to forgive sins and grant eternal life. And the Bible says if we believe that in our heart to be true, that God would actually love us that much despite our sin, and we confess it with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved, which means we'll be given eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've yet to make that confession of faith, then God hasn't brought you here for a taco bar. He brought you here to save you. Today may be the day of your salvation. We're going to sing a song of response and invitation. And if you know that's you, I'm going to ask you to come down. You can just sit in the front row or you come directly to me and say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. But maybe you're here and you're at a place where, you know what? I'm not growing in the faith the way I should be. And I need to come and tell God, God, give me a desire and a heart that pants for you. Let's finish the work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for everything you've done. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that is yet to make this confession of faith and they know that's something they need to do, even if they don't fully understand it, Lord, I praise you. You don't tell us we have to fully understand it just to know that we need it. I pray in this time of invitation that they would come down the aisle and they would be eternally changed today. Lord, let us be a people and a church that loves people, even if with all their struggles, and to see people that we may not even agree with, that that's someone you love and you died for. We praise you for you alone are worthy of it. Continue to receive the glory as your kingdom and will continues to be done. And praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.